Hello there. I hope everybody is safe and healthy. I'm going to address the elephant in the room now. Yes, this is Liam. I am an associate producer here on In Love With The Process, and I am not Mike, our host. Now, uh, this week we're doing things a little bit differently. For many of you, uh, you know who I am. For those who are new to the show, welcome. Thank you for listening. Uh, I actually started on the show not much longer than our, uh, not much before. Holy shit, how do you fucking use words, man? I started in fucking January. We'll go with that. I started in January as an intern on the show. And in that time, uh, I have progressed with the show and now I'm an associate producer. Now, also in that time, with season two, we've had some bigger and better guests on the show, and uh, we've seen our listeners, our listener count grow. Really, there's no other way to put it, exponentially. And thank you to every single one of you who are listening, tuning in, sharing it with your friends, getting this show out there. You guys are fucking awesome. And I know that you basically, because I was right there with you. As a fan of the show myself, I was putting it out there. I can't tell you how many times I've received messages being like, holy shit, dude, I didn't realize you were on the show. It's like, yeah, yeah, this show's fucking awesome. And I'm really happy to be part of it. And I'm really happy that a lot more people seem to be as excited about it as I am. Now, what is this show about? Well, this episode is now episode 76. We've gone through 75 before this, and that is insane. For everybody who's new, look, I get it. It's a lot. And where do you start at that point? How do you even wrap your head around where to begin when you have 75 episodes to go back through and listen to? Well, don't worry. Mike and I, we got you covered. See, inlovewiththeprocess.com has a full list, and this is where it gets better, It's a curated list of all of our previous episodes. If you want to hear about directors that we've had on the show, there's a list for that. If you want to hear about, you know, specific crew members, we've got those categorized. If you want to check out some of the individuals who have been on here that aren't part of the film crew, that are creatives in other fields, we have that too. Go check it out at inlovewiththeprocess.com. And also there, you will find our new mini-series, the self-quarantine miniseries, where we are, uh, it, these are new shows every week being released on Friday, and in those shows, we are offering uh, resources, links to articles that are being released, up-to-date news, as well as, dude, just shit to help you get through sitting in your room or your house for weeks on end. The, our last episode that we had, we went over, I think it was like, 10 or more, I, I want to say we're, we're closer to 15 films that are available on Netflix and Hulu and Vudu or whatever it is. I don't know, some crazy ass fucking streaming site. But all of these are great picks for you to go and check out when you got nothing better to do. And honestly, there's not much better to do than sit down and watch a great film. I actually just watched uh, Okja with uh, my roommate and he was losing it because the dude's vegan and uh, and he was real pleased with that fucking message but that's a Bong Joon-ho film 
and we talked about it on the episode and it's an absolute blast to see one of the best directors right now uh, going through and creating a new story. Very excited about that. But again, check that out on lovewiththeprocess.com. And if you're sitting there and you're going like, Liam, I don't want to go on on Love With The Process. Do you have another place to go? Well, you can follow us on Instagram at at in love with the process pod or in love with the process pod that's our instagram account or you can follow mike directly at mike petchy you can also uh you can also i mean you could i wouldn't because honestly it's just existential crisis but you can uh, follow me on instagram and i'm at liam.d.o'brien because why the fuck not but these are just, there's our Instagram handles. We can check that off the fucking to-do list on the intro. Now, what is this episode about? Well, this episode is very similar to what I was just kind of explaining because if you don't want to go through all 76 episodes or all the other 75 episodes, you want to start where, where I started in 2020. Well, that's what this is. I'm taking you through some of my favorite moments of the episodes that I was personally a part of. See, Mike talked about season two being bigger and better guests in Los Angeles here on the West Coast. And the fact that I was able to be here for the last couple months and in person be part of those conversations. There are some incredible moments that I got to experience. And I want to share some of my favorite with you guys. So let me see. I'm going to check in my fucking list because let me tell you. I've spent, no joke, this is this is 100% true, I've spent two and a half hours trying to record this intro. It is a fucking nightmare, but this is the best we've gotten. I chugged a Red Bull at 12.30 a.m. Uh, I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to be okay. Let me see. For this episode, we're doing a recap. Uh-huh. All the listeners to catch up. Sure, sure. You should check out the self-quarantine minute. Yeah, all right, awesome. So there's only one thing left to do. And I've practiced this, and I've fucked it up numerous times, and I'm going to try to get it through. Look, put on those noise-canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of In Love With The Process. first highlight comes from episode 65, The Science of Cinematic Lighting, with guest Tim Kang of Quasar Science. Tim was a co-host of a presentation that Mike invited me to join him with, join him on, whatever. We both went to this presentation that was co-hosted by Tim, as well as Ted Sim, who's the president of Aperture Lighting. Now, Quasar and Aperture Lighting both were co-presenting this, which was basically the the truth behind RGB technology in terms of lighting for cinematography currently going on right now. Now, what we found out at the presentation was basically that a lot of companies that are saying that their RGB lights are able to give you any color under the spectrum, turns out it wasn't totally accurate. And Tim was leading the charge in exposing the truth. That was really exciting. 
because within the next week, Mike brought him in. The two of them sat down and had one of the nerdiest lighting conversations I've ever heard. I was, as personally, as a super fan of uh, lighting and getting really nerdy, I was in love with this conversation. And I took a few excerpts from some of my favorite parts of the conversation that the two had. So here we go. been telling customers this since I joined the company. Um, don't throw away your party gels. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, and that's why none of Quasar's marketing has ever said that this will replace gels for this reason. Sure. And on top of that, that's why Quasar has never put uh, gels in, you know, gel program gels in their lights. I think that there's been this shift and I say this on the show, and I always say this, even with all my sponsors, these are tools. A light is a fucking tool. Yep. A camera's a fucking tool. That's how we feel too. Yeah. And in our industry, yeah, it's like, can you imagine if you were a construction worker and you're like, I just want a fucking shovel. And they're like, well, yeah, but you got to buy the fucking shed and you got to buy all this other shit. And you're just like, I want the fucking shovel. Yeah. And I feel like only in our industry has the, the manufacturers sort of controlled uh, the narrative around becoming a filmmaker. Yeah. And I think all that was sort of running through my head when I was hearing this stuff that was going on with the RGB lights because I felt like, of course, they're going to tell us that it can do all these things because that's the only way they're going to get us to jump into that ship. Yeah. Ultimately, that's, but ultimately, like, you, we're in a point in time. That's why I've been doing all this education stuff is you have to right now because if you don't, uh, Everyone's just going to get complacent manufacturing wise yeah. and not improve. Yeah. It's good enough now. So if we're stuck with this, just shoot me now because it's just like, it's, it's just not, it's limiting creativity. Yeah. Severely. It's really actually limiting creativity versus the other way around. Right now we've seen an explosion of creativity from this color changing stuff. Sure. And a lot of great, interesting concepts that come, and visual ideas that come out of it, but they all look the same now. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of played out because ultimately you've lost the ability to actually have any nuance. <laughs> exactly. So if exactly. you don't have nuance and using the same three crayons that you cannot actually combine real colors with, then you're kind of just stuck as yeah. a filmmaker. But this is all we have. Yeah. And if we don't say we want it to be better, or else we're not going to buy your lights, then no one's going to improve. Right. So that's kind of what. I've been trying to kind of bid on a stump speech. I go to all the film schools and do this color presentation. And eventually that's why I started the, the lighting committee at the ASC because I was, I've been involved with ASC doing uh, workflow stuff and technical council stuff. And they have, they've been pushing this color management system called um, ACES. Uh -huh. And I'm not even going to the weeds of that, but basically I, what <laughs> I realized is that it doesn't matter how you're managing your color if it's wrong in the first place. It's, if it's wrong in the first place, you can't fix it. Right. And the only the way it's wrong in the first place is if the light's wrong in the first place. And, uh, and that's why it's suffered on set. I mean, that's why I showed it in the, in, in the talk. Is, and what you experience is sure. like, if, if you've got a key light, it's balanced, and you try to do yellow with RGB LEDs, you won't see it. 
Yeah. It just looks like you've just added the same color or maybe a red, slightly kind of more magenta version as a backlight. Yeah. There's just no way that you can fix that in post. Yeah. On a reasonable budget. And or time. tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. There's just no way. I mean, it's just, I, I, and I've, I know post very well. So I was like, I felt like I was in a unique, unique position in this workflow committee. And so we created this sub, you know, we invite all the lighting manufacturers and my idea was, okay, I'll bring the lighting manufacturers. I'll bring all the color scientists, nerds from all the post houses. Uh-huh. I'll bring camera manufacturers and DPs, put them all in the same room, see what happens. We did that. And normally these meetings only have like five people in it, but this meeting had 40 people in it. Wow. And it wasn't just because of me and no one knew who I was. This everyone, was an issue, yeah. Everyone knows this is an issue. Yeah, yeah. And they see that who else is going to be there and like, oh, okay. So let, you know, AFC is doing this. Yeah. So they all show up and they're like, oh, crap. You know? And then so I had the first meeting, I had my, my friend, she's shooting the L word right now for Showtime. She presented on, on another show that she shot this exact problem. And they're trying to get yellow. And she got her job saying that she can do like umpteen amount of steps per day because everything's on the LEDs and you could just change it off a DMX board, right? Or yeah. off, a, you know, you get a program, a good programmer, sure. they control it all and you can boom, 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 knock out your steps. Sure. And then you spend fucking how long pitching that to the production team and the producing yeah. team? Yeah. And you're like, this is going to save all this time. Yeah. This and then and she's standing on set. Try and dial it in and just never getting to that color. And that's that. I yeah. know that fucking panic. Yeah. And she's panicking, there. right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then she goes to red because they shot on red monster. I think it was a red monster sensor. Is this supposed to be your best sensor? What's going on? And then they, yep. and red says, it's your LUT. It's the show LUT that your post production mm-hmm. house did. So go to your post production house. She goes to the post production house. They take off the LUT and do whatever they can. It's not the LUT. So she goes by the camera company and the camera company's like, I don't know. Yeah, right? exactly. And they shouldn't. It's not their fault. You know, I mean, ultimately, like, it's the light's fault. Sure. So that's when I, and then after all this, she runs into me at, at a party, <laughs> tells me that her, her woes. I'm like, oh, you should just gel the light. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, and she was mad. She was so mad. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. but if you want that yellow, use <laughs> yeah. that, set your light to white. Yeah. And gel it to yellow. This is what I've been telling all my customers. Yeah. And she's like, but that's wrong. I'm like, I don't care if that's wrong, like on a moral level, but it's going to give you your results that you want. But why yeah. is it fucking wrong? This drives me crazy because yeah. this comes back to. Exactly. Dude, yeah. Ugh, false advertising. False advertising, bullshit. And yeah. then how quick we are. Yeah. To be like, this is the shit. I went to NAB. Yeah. This is what I got fed yeah. at fucking and, NAB. Yeah. And then, and now like the last NAB, this is what we were joking about during the event. It's like everybody and their mother is doing an RGBW or RGW or whatever. All these, it was like, like five years ago, everybody and their mother was doing gimbals. Sure. Four years ago, everybody was doing drones. Sure. And last year it was LED lights. Sure. That were RGBW because everyone just knows it's this plentiful thing that you can easily find off the shelf and it's popular. It's going to make a lot of money. Well, Lottie, you know, Lottie freaking dog. Because it's not going to. But that that, that, yeah. that comes back to that statement, man. Exactly. Where this industry, at the end of the day, they're fucking tools. And these tools are supposed to exactly. work for you. Exactly. They're, supposed to, they're yeah. supposed to work for you. And these companies are supposed to be there to support you. And that's the idea. Yeah. I don't care, like, how you feel, what your experience is. Mm-hmm. You're going to deal with this. At some point, you're going to be in you're, my situation. You're going to be in this situation. Yeah. Your your job is going to be on the line. Yep. 
I want to make sure whether you think I'm an idiot or not, that you have your back po- in your back pocket, your insurance policy. Yeah. So that's why I was like saying in the presentation, I'm showing limitations. This is what happens. Now, right now we hate it and it sucks because it's the only option we have. Sure. But technology is going to keep improving. So it's not a limitation anymore. Now it becomes an option. And that's the power of all this is that if you know this is an option, you can use it. If you know how this option behaves. Exactly. Then it becomes a creative tool. Because I was thinking about Non-liability. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's what we're trying to push is you see these color shifts that happen that you don't like. The only reason why you don't like it is because you don't expect it. Right. Because you were wanting it to do something else. But if you wanted to do that. Yep. That's what I was saying. Like That's what I'm hoping to do is start predictively saying, okay, as an example- the orange color that you get um, with these lights, if it's just RGB, turns red. Yep. And if you don't know what's going to happen and it happens on set, then that's the worst. Yeah. Right. And the only solution, again, as we said, is the yellow gel. But if you know this is going to happen, you can design stuff that, on purpose. It's, it, 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 and so that's what I'm saying. Like, this is not necessarily a bad thing if you know this is something that you can do. And that's the power of understanding things spectrally that's what i'm trying to teach is not necessarily this is just what's wrong is if if we can think about this a little bit more clearly about what's actually happening yeah, yeah. then creativity is actually unleashed yeah not not just hampered by all this nerdy information you know so that i mean that's that's the whole goal of all this really While Mike and Tim discuss the importance of understanding the tools we use as creatives, Shane Daring, an animator for Adult Swim, as well as our guest for episode 73, Discovering the Cat's Butthole, talked about the importance of defining your own style as a creative and how adding your own experiences creates something that's truly original. How long does it take you to actually to bang out your uh, like little minute uh, animations that you have on uh, Instagram? It really it's, there's such a, a broad range because it's it's all kind of dependent on um, the style of the drawing, the drawing style, the art style, and the animation style. Mm-hmm. So if it's like if it's super simple, um, it, you know it can be pretty quick, but um, it's, it's a labor intensive art form just inherently. So even the simplest things uh, take, do take a long time. So most, most of the stuff I'm doing for adult swim in particular is around 15 seconds. Cause that's how long our, our interstitials are. That's how long our bumps are. Mm-hmm. So 15 seconds, you know, it'll take me a good, you know, I'd say 40 to 80 hours. So it's like a two to one to two week process wow. for something like that. And uh, cause everything's really built, you know, it's, it's all hand drawn um, digitally, of course, but um, st- still in that traditional sense where every frame is drawn separately. Um, you know, I work a lot alone. I, I work by myself most of the time, mm-hmm. um, and that has its own challenges. You know, sometimes you need. And I think that's why I venture out into taking on freelance projects to sort of stimulate that cl- the more collaborative aspects of being a creator. Yeah, and that's super important is to not you know get like become a hermit. <laughs> and, and then you become just super like inbred in your in your taste in your in what you produce, um, and you never get to bounce things off people. But no, I love working. I love working at Adult Swim, and 
I love the fast paced nature, um, of things and how you just make, you make mistakes so much faster and you learn from those mistakes and that's how you grow. And so getting to, getting to work with so many different shows and styles and being encouraged to like push things and do crazy things. Um, that's, what's great. So I, I kind of treat every piece that I do as like an exercise and a learning experience of like trying, trying to learn some new style or develop a style or learn a, a certain movement, learn a certain shot, do mm. something I've never done before. Mm. So it's very, it's very experimental and that's, it's, and everyone that works there is super supportive of that. And they don't, you don't get punished for <laughs> making mistakes. Um, <laughs> you, they just kind of help you, help you learn from it and everything. And um, yeah, it's a great place. Dude, that's great. And that kind of leads into what, what I was going to ask next, which is, so if you're starting something, so like if you are coming up with one of these ideas, um, mm. is it, do you, where do you go to for inspiration? Is it, is it, is it as simple as being like, look, I've always wanted to do this specific kind of movement. So I'm going to create something around that specific movement. Or do you, do you, uh, are you having to like dive deep back into animation and watch a bunch of films or read some comic books? Like where do you pull your stuff from? I think it's definitely both those things, man. Uh, um, there's always things floating around when I'm just like kind of browsing the internet. I, I kind of set, parts of the day aside to just look at things um, as I, I think most creators do and um, just, you know, kind of let myself be inspired. And I, you know, what you make is t- totally just a sum of like what influences you, like what your taste is. And so I try to make sure that, you know, I have some sort of like trajectory towards what my taste is, but I don't want to be too limiting of that or else it'll become, yeah. it'll just, you know, it'll just be Akira. <laughs> like, yeah, it gets stale. Yeah, totally. So, right. Right. So, cause it's impossible, dude. You can't, you can't pull that shit out of the ether <laughs> like completely. You know, it's like, you, you got to look at stuff. You got to look at like professional things to be able to make something professional. And then you got to, you know, you got to be inspired and you got to look at stuff that, sort of like stir something in you and then you yeah it's like you pull you pull like your favorite little elements from like a million different things and it all just gets like melded together into something new mm-hmm. and that's like yeah totally i do the same thing man when i'm like coming up with something or developing a style or trying to come up with an idea i've got like you know like my folders of inspirational material or or like you know i use pinterest a lot because mm-hmm. um, that's like just you know if you find some like really great curated boards on there of like a particular type of thing I'll just like, you know, I'll spend, you know, hours just doing that and, and just like building up sort of like inspirational source material that I then sort of like, I don't know, I guess systematically kind of funnel through <laughs> my own creative processes into something new. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think, cause I think a lot of people would misconstrue that idea and they would say like, well, what are you guys just ripping off of the people and you're finding things mm. and you're just stealing yeah. from the people. <laughs> and it's not necessarily that I always say, especially with the film stuff, like I will go and watch like an old Spielberg movie and I'll examine why I feel certain ways while watching it. And I'll sit there and I'll go, I really like what I'm feeling here. I don't know what the fuck it is. I, I really enjoy it. So let's watch it again. And you sort of examine all of the the language of cinema that he's using for it. The music, the yeah. sound, yeah. the pacing, the blocking, the, the way he's cutting it. And then understand that language, understand that language for that specific thing, and then store that language away. So when I want to tell something, when I want to tell a story 
and I want to use that language, not necessarily his shots or his stuff. I just want to use the language that he was using at that time period and then tell my story with that language. I think that's the trick. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, you don't want to like, you don't want to rip off or just directly imitate something. But yeah, you you pick and choose things that like inspire you about someone else's work and that that influences you as a creator. Like if it's shots from a certain director or if it's like line quality in the way someone like lights a shot mm-hmm. uh, for, or for me, it's like, you know, the stylization of like the way a character's drawn, you know, it's um, something I think a lot of people learn um, naturally the, the new breed of like illustrators who, who like kind of just learn from the internet is that they like, they have like all these different artists that they admire that draw hands or whatever it is like completely differently. Mm-hmm. And they find like little tiny elements that they like about it. And they just combine them in new different ways, just kind of like a puzzle almost. And then it ultimately creates something new. Yeah. If you, you know, like that's what happens if you like, if you're too close to a certain source material for too long, then your stuff just starts to look like that. Then it's just, you know, kind of a knockoff of that. And that's definitely not what you want. Yeah. But you, you eventually, even if you try to fight it, you, you start kind of pushing yourself into, into whatever you're creating mm-hmm. subconsciously. And it just kind of melds in with everything else. And that's when you get something like truly special uh, once you hit it, hit it on that. Cause it's like, it's all, it's your taste, it's your skill, it's all your influences and then it's mixed in with through the lens of like your own life and the things that you've experienced um and that's definitely like that's definitely when you get something truly unique and that's when like something original is is like created learning new skills and developing your craft are obviously integral parts of being an artist but young artists constantly are overlooking the other aspects and focusing solely on the newest piece of gear and understanding how to shoot a certain camera or focusing on really just developing their own artistic style. They don't sit back and focus on what else you have to develop as an artist. And I get that. I'm, I'm, I am so guilty. Guest Oren Sofer, an award-winning cinematographer, speaks with Mike about this in episode 67, Cinematography, Expanding Your Emotional Palette. They focus on not just your skills and techniques, but also everything else that builds up your emotional palette and makes you the artist that people want to work with. Yeah, it's it's more fuck telling people that you're doing this amazing thing. Yeah. And really sort of focus the same way that you would focus and learn about cinematography and lenses and um and composition and blocking or or uh acting style. Also learn how to be a good social fucking person mm-hmm. and understand that this business isn't just you. Yeah. It's not me. Yeah. It's the it's the collection of all these human beings and if we want to foster an industry that is inclusive, truly inclusive. Yes. And not just reactionary because this industry is fucking reactionary. Yes, very much so. And that's happening right now. A hundred percent to the point where it's being uh, just as non-inclusive as it was before, but just at the opposite end of the spectrum. Sure. So if you're going to create an environment that is inclusive and you are going to do that, then I think in my opinion, it's about focusing on yourself. It's about coming to that point and, and looking at yourself going, why am I doing it? 
Why does it make me feel good? And what kind of stuff do I want to project? Yeah, focusing on yourself as opposed to focusing on what are other people doing. Exactly. You know, and, and yeah, and I, I hope that that somebody's takeaway listening to this who is maybe at that stage of like two years in is that is just to remember like you're you're doing okay, you know, and and you're you're on your you're on your own journey. What other people are doing doesn't matter because it's all performance. It's all curation. It's all circumstance. It's out of your control. The only thing you have control over is you and how you deal with these anxieties and, and, and deal with the people in your life and how you treat the people in your life and how you treat yourself and what you bring to your work and beyond. Like that's it. That's what you have control over. Honestly, this sounds so corny, but like, I think the best advice is to just be yourself as much as possible and let your personality shine through. Uh, at the end of the day, your work is going to speak for itself. If you're going into an interview, the, the person you're interviewing with is looking at your work. So you don't need to talk about that too much. Uh, your website, your Instagram, your reel, whatever it is, should speak for itself. Uh, and I think it's so I think that the, the most value you can take out of that time is to show just by demonstrating without calculating it what kind of person you are to the producer or director or whoever you're meeting with. And I think that that will end up leaving more of an impression than if you just sat there and talked about your work. Our next excerpt comes from episode 75, Hosted Spaceships and Designing for Star Wars. In it, Coley Wirtz, a concept artist who is designed for Star Wars, Batman, and the upcoming Dune movie, spoke with Mike about how he has liberated himself from the precious planning involved in creating art. I got a sketches area too, and I do a lot of drawing on post-its. And so I'll take a, um, on my site, I got like. Oh, that's super cool. That's super cool. So you're doing, you're doing the stuff on post-it notes. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. I mean, all right. So at that point with both the phone and post-its, you're working at like a really small scale. Your hand must be killing you at this point. No, I, I, <clears throat> no, I just, you know, the, a sketch only takes about five minutes. Right. And then it, it I don't go too crazy detailed on it. And it, it, it's either five minutes or a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And right now coffee shops are closed. So I'm not going to be posting a lot cause I'm bumming. Yeah. So I go to a coffee shop and I got like a post-it pack and my phone and a pencil and a pen, and then I'll sketch on and I'll sketch and then I'll take a picture Sometimes I'll do like process sketches where I'll take a picture of my pencil sketch and then I'll add ink and take a picture of that, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing because, you know, you never, you can't undo back to the, the pencil sketch after you start adding ink. So you're like capturing something that will never be seen again, which is always fun because I'll lay out blue line sketch on the pencil ah, cool. and then start adding ink. So these things don't exist. So after that, I'll just take a picture of it. You know, again, because your phone is essentially a scanner. I mean, hell, when you can take a 4K picture, yeah, that's a fucking scan. Yeah. So, 
I, I got my scan and I imported into Procreate on my iPhone and add some highlights and stuff. And it's pretty easy. You got a finished product. So cool, man. That is so fucking rad. It must be like liberating because. Oh my God. You have no idea, man. It's, it, it's not like, you know, for like for us to sit down and have this podcast, mm-hmm. I had to, I had to sit down at the, at the, <laughs> sit down at the computer Make sure everything's working. Yeah. This computer's on Wi-Fi. It's not working very well. This one's on router. It's working okay. So that kind of stuff is that is like sitting down and planning to work. But now with your phone, for me, if I'm in line at Starbucks and it's a long line, I'll just start sketching. It's and so I'm cool. Just, when I get to the front of the line, I'm like, okay, well, I'll go revisit that one. So, but yeah, that's how I work. And, you know, it takes away the preciousness of planning to work. I hate that precious feeling. Okay. I've got my, I've got my pencil, the pencil sharpened and yeah, that's all I need to worry about for if I'm going to sit down and sketch, but if I'm sketching on my iPhone, it's like whatever, anywhere, anytime. So at this point, we're going to go to an ad break. And Mike told me that I could use any ad break as long as it has all of our current sponsors. So what I actually wanted to do was use an ad break that we haven't heard yet. And this is from an episode that I know you probably are waiting for because I'm waiting for it. And uh, we've talked about it quite a lot on the show. This is from the upcoming Chef episode. And I personally am a big fan of it because... Guess what, motherfuckers? Uh, all that, all that making fun of me, all that bullshit. Yeah. Guess who wins today? Mm, UPS just showed up, guys. And you know what that means? That means it's time for us to do our sponsor read. To this sweet, I don't know why we haven't changed that doorbell sound. <laughs> I don't know why we haven't done that yet. But anyway, I hope you guys have been enjoying the episode so far. Um, but it's time to show a little bit of love to our sponsors, to the people, to the men and women that uh, bring this show, make this show possible. Uh, first up, our good friends over at Puget Systems. If you're a uh, independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer. If you're a sound technician and you're looking to upgrade your computer because your computer isn't fast enough anymore, this always happens. We up, suddenly get an update on our software and it just outdates our fucking hardware. Drives me insane. Um, but uh, you're ready for a new machine, right? And you're pricing them out. Is that my phone? Man, I'm a piece of shit. You're looking for your new machine and you're pricing them out. And they're too expensive. Don't even look at me, Liam. Fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Uh, the new stuff, like the top-end manufacturer stuff, is super expensive. Let's just say it. Apple. Apple's really fucking expensive, right? You go to their website and you start to price things out. They usually only give you three choices and you go through and you're just like, what, I want more. I need more room. I need to upgrade my case. And they have the new towers that are coming out that are all upgradable, but fuck, it costs so much goddamn money. And all I want to do is I want to take that cash that you guys are spending on your advertising and I want to take that cash that you guys are spending on your boxing experience, unboxing experience, and I want to put it in that machine. Okay, so if I'm going to hand you a few grand, I want that to go into fucking horsepower. I, I want my uh, video timelines with 4K 
with 6K, I want them running real time. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for that shit. And we all know that hardware continuously upgrades. Software updates force us to upgrade our hardware, our hardware. And I want to be able to open up my machine and change that shit out. I want it to be compatible. I want this machine to last me at least five years. I want to pay it off and make money on this machine as an editor, right? Or as a photographer. So go to PugetSystems.com. There you can build yourself a PC. Yes, I said it, a PC. It doesn't matter what system you use these days. Both systems run the same thing. We all use Adobe Creative Cloud. Doesn't make a difference. And now both systems can run out ProRes. Both systems can do the same fucking thing. And the thing I like about PCs is that they're upgradable, they're no frills, uh, and they're super fast, right? And so everything that you've seen from me, all my movies, 12 cam, who's there, all that stuff has all been cut on PCs, on a Puget Systems PC, nonetheless. So go to PugetSystems.com, check them out. There you can pick a PC or baseline package based upon the software you use. Click on Photoshop and then it'll tell you the, the perfect baseline package to use for the newest version of Photoshop. And then you can actually customize that the shit out of that machine. You can reach out to Puget and say, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm building, this is how much money I have, and they'll advise you on it. It's a great way to spend your cash. It's a smart way to spend your cash and their customer, su uh, their customer support is outstanding. Out fucking standing. So at the end of the day, if you're gonna look for a new PC, if you're gonna look for a new computer, go to PugetSystems.com. Wow. This is the, I'm just gonna be fully uh, upfront with you guys. We're banging out two episodes at the same time. So if I start getting super tongue twisted, it's cause I'm really beating the shit out of my mouth right now. <laughs> Anyway, um, all, what's that? It's yeah, it's very hot. Fucking creep. Anyway, uh, also supporting the show continuously, our good friends at Quasar Science, one of the best advancements in the movie industry of the past five, seven years has been lighting. The uh, super advancements uh, in LED lighting have changed the game. So if you're watching your Netflix shows, if you're watching movies in the cinema and you're noticing how dynamic this lighting is, um, how amazing the practical cues are uh, it all is because of LED lighting and one of the forefronts the company at the forefront of this stuff is Quasar Science go to QuasarScience.com there you can check out their uh, LED lights their LED tubes they have bicolor LED tubes they also have RGB uh, LED tubes um, a great place to pick up that kit so if you like you're a photographer or you're just um, an independent uh, videographer and you need a new kit people ask me all the time what are you using what gear are you using uh, in my kit are quasar tubes quasar tubes they run cooler not just color temperature but they run cooler as far as heat off the light they don't require that much power uh, and you can easily fit them in the back of your hatchback super easy to use really important to have in your kit if you're starting out so go to quasarscience.com and check them out um, and if you want to support the show, there's a couple ways to do so. You can either throw me some loot by donating. If you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, there's a donate button there. And uh, click on that. You can donate 15 bucks to the show, which is like, hey, man, you're the shit for doing that. You're the shit. I'll give you a shout out if you do that. So go donate 15 and I'll give you a shout out for it. Um, but if you're like the rest of us and your wallets are light right now, we're just coming out of the back end of fucking tax season. 
goddamn government sucking everything out of us and uh, you've got nothing left, I get it, man. But you can still support the show. And the easiest way to do so, if you haven't done so already on another podcast, uh, you can sign up for the Audible free trial. Go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. The link will be underneath the episode. Uh, there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial, which comes with a free audiobook. And if you like it, stick around. Check out some more of the books. Check out all the really great audio content. But if you don't like it, cancel out 30 days. No big deal on us, man. Either way, it's great. Either way, we get paid. Uh, so it's a good way to support the show. The link will be below the episode. And for the love of God, click the links, please. They're trackable links. And the sponsors will notice. The sponsors will continue to stay on the show as long as you click the link. It's just like a fucking easy thing to do. Please do it. And you know what? While we're at getting you guys to do things, what are you listening to? Where are you listening to this show? Are you listening to the show on Apple Podcasts? Are you listening to the show on Spotify? I think we're now on Google Podcasts. Yes, we're now on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on all these different outlets. Wherever it is that you are listening, that you are subscribing to the show, subscribe to the show. That way you get to hear it first. Subscribe to the show. But if you're not subscribing, or even if you are, leave a review. Leave us a review. It helps us. It helps with that fucking AI shit. You leave reviews, we will show up on lists. We will beat the system. We will show up on Skynet's radar. So leave reviews, please, below each of these shows on whatever uh, outlet that is that you're listening to. And if you can't find a place to leave a review, then leave a review at the Instagram accounts. All right? I love to hear what you guys think. Be like, Mike, I love the chef show. Stop talking about making movies. And let's talk about food more. I doubt that would ever be a review. But if it is, you know, do it. I'm into it. All right? Um, and then if you also, another way to support the show is uh, by signing up for our Capital One deals on our website in the sponsors. So at inlovewiththeprocess.com backslash sponsors. There you can click on any of our Capital One deals. Now, if you're someone that is responsible with your spending, listen to us on this. If you're someone that is in credit card debt, doesn't has bad credit, doesn't know how to deal with that stuff, then don't, okay? But if you're looking to expand your business a bit, if you need a credit card for rentals, if you need a credit card just for travel, I highly suggest you either sign up for the Capital One Venture Card or the Venture One Card. The difference between the two the Venture Card has a $95 annual fee, guys. But you get two times the points per dollar you spend all the time. And for signing up, you get a 50,000 point bonus for spending $3,000 or more within, I think it's the first three months of signing up for the account. So that equals $500 towards travel, okay, for doing that. But remember, there is an annual fee, $95 annual fee. So if you're someone that's not putting a lot of cash through, if you don't have a bunch of jobs, maybe you go for the Venture One card, which has no annual fee. And um, I think it was, uh, I think it was a thousand dollars. I don't have it in front of me, but if you sign up for the for the uh, Venture card uh, within the first three months, if you spend, I think it's a thousand dollars in the first three months, you'll get a twenty thousand mile bonus, right? Which is two hundred dollars towards travel. It's got less 
uh, points per dollar. I think it's only one and a quarter per dollar, um, but there's no annual fee, right? So go check them out and loadtheprocess.com backslash sponsors. If you are looking to sign up for a credit card, do it through there. We actually get a little bit of loot and it helps us out. So that's great. Uh, and that is it. Let's get back to it. Let's get, pull ourselves back up to the table and uh, have some more uh, great insight into how uh, Brian creates his dishes and where the food comes from. Thanks for listening. Mike talks on the show a lot about your toolkit as a filmmaker. And one of the tools in the director and actor's toolkit is language. In episode 71, Building Your Toolkit, The Dialect Coach, guest Aaron Bluestein, who's worked with some of the biggest names in Hollywood, discussed with Mike the importance and the impact on himself of learning new languages. What fascinated me most about their conversation was the fact that Aaron talked about how learning a new language allowed him to be more humble and be more tolerant of others. And that connection was shared with Mike. Now, another connection that the two had was the fact that they're from Boston, which made for the entire episode to just be that much more relaxed and connected. And I had a blast sitting there listening. And I really think that you guys would enjoy it. Here's a section where Aaron discusses his experience of learning new languages. Why do I love learning other languages? Well, because I get to be other people, right? So I was always kind of sort of in, sort of interested in writing, and then I lived in Spain, and I started writing poems. It's like, where did this come from? Something about the Spanish language, probably the musicality, and probably the fact that it wasn't my first language, so I was less self-critical, and I could just get it out there. And then I got into it. I got to Italy, and I wrote maybe a hundred poems, you know, and, and I didn't ever try to publish them, but they were appreciated. And, and it's just that every language has its own personality, its own vibe, its own energy. And by learning other languages, you get to explore other parts of your personality. You know, there's this great swear in Roman, and it's like the worst swear I know in any language. And it basically means fuck you and all your dead relatives. But... <laughs> I was on my motorcycle and I was in Rome. I lived in Rome for a few years and I was on my motorcycle and this elderly gentleman was walking through the crosswalk and I hadn't seen him. And, you know, before I ran into him, which I didn't, he turned to me and he goes, and it was like, it just came from his, some, this primordial place. And I was like, I'll never forget that moment. You know, I might forget what I had for breakfast yesterday, but, but it's just this, you know, it's absorbing sounds. If you're a musician, you're into sound. It's about absorbing experiences and it's about really picking and choosing. It's funny you, you asked that question because that moment, that scene in the film, they're talking about that. It's sort of like, you know, this old school idea of America being the melting pot, right? You'd mix it all together and you become one, but it's really a mosaic mm. because we don't always integrate, but you've got all these cultures, you know, in Queens, I lived in Astoria, Queens, and you walk down a couple blocks and there's a Colombian restaurant and then there's a Spanish restaurant and then there's a, China, you know, and there's this little pocket populations. So it's really about getting exposure to the culture, whether that be music 
gestures, expressions, sounds, food, um, to, to, that you can pick and choose what you like and, and make that a part of you. Again, to be a more tolerant, knowledgeable, worldly person who, who inevitably is less judgmental and more accepting, especially with these LA drivers, right? God. <laughs> Very true. Ugh. Yeah. And, and supposedly we're, we're the worst drivers from Boston? No, dude. No. No. It's oh great to God. hear you say that. Nope. Ugh. Tolerance is one of the most important skills that a director can bring to set. And the reason for that is the, the role of a director isn't to be some visionary genius who just comes out and vomits his dream and his vision and everyone else just kind of grabs it and goes in line. Now, the role of a director is to basically put out fires nonstop and to calm people down as they're all having existential crises. The role of the director is to be that calm rock that guides people as we all go through that storm of what is filmmaking. In episode 68, Ash vs. Evil Dead, How I Got the Gig, we had one of our coolest guests on, Dana DiLorenzo. Dana has worked with Sam Raimi. She has worked with Bruce Campbell. One thing that she really was excited about, and let me tell you, when I say excited, I mean next level of excitement because this woman was just a ball of energy. She was bouncing around the room, and it was really something to see. And luckily for you, you can see it, because this was an episode that we recorded on video and posted on YouTube. And guess what? The link is in the description, so check it out if you want to watch the whole episode. Because honestly, this is one of the coolest experiences that I had, where she sat down and she, she talked about how she was panicking on set, and there were a lot of people panicking, and the director calmed her down. And this one day, um, it was, he put, because I had to work, so he put all of my scenes of the whole movie, and I was the, fe I was the lead, the lead female, uh, in four days. And so it was just boom, 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 boom. And um, we were shooting, uh, we actually, this was one of the spots we had a location for, yep. um, which was a, a bookstore um, on Franklin um, here in Los Angeles next to... Uh, you, it was a uh, Franklin Village. It's it's very, you have to go see it. Now I'm drawing a blank on the bookstore name, but either way, um, we I mean people were there at like three in the morning in order to set it up because we only had an we had no time. Yeah, and it was a f two minute or two and a half minute continuous or maybe it's four minutes, four and a half minutes continuous shot. We did anyway. It doesn't matter. What matters is what had happened that morning was uh, the the hair and makeup person grabbed the wrong end of the curling iron. It was just me and her at oh. Ani's house getting ready. And apparently this girl never been burned before because she screamed like someone just cut her head off. It's okay. It's fine. But like she was, it was 45 minutes of me calming her down. We were supposed to be there. I was supposed to be on set and trying to, and like trying to, trying to help that. So, and, and I kept, and then we had no reception. So they weren't, she was supposed to drive me. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. We show up there. two hours late and I'm hysterical because my hair and makeup is not done. And this is the crux of this scene. And we are already now, we have, we already did enough time. Now we have 30. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in that moment, he saw, I was like, his, I was like hysterical. I'm like, you could just see, like, I wasn't out. Sorry to hit the mic. It wasn't outwardly hysterical, but it, it was, it's obvious. It was like, you could see it's right below the surface. 
and he could have just been like, we got to go. We got, and ever, so everyone else's energy was that way. Or like, and, you know, the DP was kind of, everyone's like, da, da, da. he found out what happened. He goes, we're going to go around, take, we're gonna, you and I are going to go take a walk around the block. I'm like, uh-huh. we don't have time. Uh-huh. And let me tell you what. I say again, I'm sorry for the long-windedness, guys, because I, I process as I talk and I'm reliving this for the first time in a long time. Once he could finally, or maybe like uh, three minutes into the walk, and I was like, we don't have time on it. We have to go. I know. He's like, I need you to just be Smart. with me right now. Smart. He's like, I don't want you to think about anything. He's like, let's talk about it. He's like, can you tell me your favorite song and when you one of your favorite songs? Where, where did you, like he really, and I was like, I know what you're doing. He's like, Dana, just, you got nothing else to lose right now. Just look at me and talk to me as, as Dana. We're going to not talk about the scene. We're not going to talk about the movie. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite donut? Which And we did. And so I really was, he, I, I don't even remember what he asked me because I was so in my head. And he Smart. made the time because he knew if he got me out of my head and just walked around and said, Dana, I don't want you to worry about the shot. I don't want you to worry about the time. I go, but what are we going to do? They're going to open. They're not gonna. He's like, that's not your job. He said, we're going to get it. You got to trust me, but you got to trust me right now that I believe in you enough that I'm not going to make you look bad. You're not going to make me look bad. And we're not going to leave here until we get it. And we're going to get it. So just can we just move forward and let's go do it. Smart. Two takes. Done. Smart. Moved out. We got it. Smart. We got out early somehow. I don't know how. That's like a fucking hero day. And can I just tell you? That's and like that's something I learned day. because that is so what he did. I couldn't do. That's a hero. I day. couldn't do. Yeah. I couldn't do it if it was my, I couldn't do it if it was just another actor and I was an actor in the scene. I'd be, hyster- I'd be, oh God. Well, da, da, da. And he, he, I guess the lesson with of what you're saying is, is to piggyback on this also to just be, be, if you're going to share the human experience as an artist from any form, but especially as a director and you are going to have a point of view about it, um, yeah, in order to, to tell that story and to share this with, with, with people, um, you need to be able to read and understand the human experience and understand the times when it's okay to be demanding and when to stand up for yourself and fight for yourself. And there are times when you can say, you know what, in order to get what I want, I have to give a little bit of, of, of some, I have to sacrifice a little something in order to take care of this person. Cause I need this person as, as you said, my paintbrush Yep. and their bristles are everywhere. <laughs> so if I don't let the, if I don't give this person a cigarette right now, yeah. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? No, and I think that beautiful. was a, but that was a hard thing to do cause he had to choose and it was like game but time or not. That's the fucking job. And he doesn't, isn't, I know. That's the fucking job. That's what I love about it, man. And, and it isn't until you start doing if for all those guys and girls out there that want to direct, it isn't until you start doing that. And once you realize that there have been multiple times where I've been on set and I've always felt sort of like, what is my job here? Like, what is, what am I supposed to, I have an idea and I have everybody here doing this, but what is, what is actually my job? It's that it's when you do things like that. I yes. bet you he walked away and was like, yeah, whether or not he said it, no, he told me after, because we became like, we, um, we're best friends after after that since then. So, uh, it because uh, the other thing I should mention too is everybody else 
and they were all his friends because everyone was working for free. People he's worked with forever, made other movies with. You know, Justin, our amazing um, DP, was like, Ani, we did it, da, da, da. we're losing the light. The light is changing every time, sure. the more time we wait. So they're coming up, up and yelling at him, and he would just go, I got it, okay. And then wardrobe, okay, well, we da, da, da. and then, then the, the, the costumes are there, but our second location's here, and then we didn't tell the actors to come here. And everyone else was, was because this whole fluke situation yeah. of someone not being able to get me to where I needed to be which wasn't my fault, but it doesn't matter because it's still now I have to deliver as if it is, right? And yeah. and it doesn't matter whose fault is anything, right? You yeah. just got to, you're all there for a thing, for right. a reason. But so, and these people weren't frantic people, but their jobs are now being affected because now they can't do their job because now everything, the longer we wait, the and harder they, of a time the they have. Anxiety is right. coming and up. And so I yep. think another thing, I, I'm just, all of this guys, I'm realizing as I'm saying it, but um, I think another thing to add to that, um, Mike, is that, some, when you're like, what is my job here? Sometimes your job is just to be the 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 therapist in a way of not. I don't mean that. That's not the right word. I want to say your job is to sometimes just be the glue, and sometimes it's not even about. It's about look, we got we got ten minutes. We can either try and force this, and it might be good, it might be bad, or I can just be calm. And because he could have very easily, because I said to him, like, I'd be stressing out just on the way people are talking to you. Like, you know, everybody sure. else is stressed. Sure, sure, sure. And again, it starts at the top. You set the bar. Yep. Sam Raimi set the bar. Farley, you said, set the, they, yep. they, start, they set, set the, the bar. bar. Ani set the bar because he was, if he's calm, yep. everyone else would be like, well, he ain't worried. Yep. And he was. He told me he was losing his mind. In, like, he was really stressed out about it. But he was like, I knew that even if we got it in, I would rather have one take from a place of here, of, of ground level, than two takes uh, below sea level that weren't gonna be usable. But Makes that sense. took a lot, I was, uh, to this, I haven't thought about that in a long time. When I moved to Los Angeles for this internship, there was a very real possibility that I would get here and uh, and I'll be I'll be honest here. A selfish reason why I came out here was to meet some of my heroes. That was my goal. I wanted to meet some people that I looked up to and say, and you know, be able to brag about. Yeah, I hung out with this person and I was working with this person, and so far I've been able to actually do that. Uh, and and that was cool. The reason why I wanted to work with Mike in the first place was because I realized that after listening to the podcast. He had directed some music videos that I basically obsessed over when I was in high school. And shut the fuck up, Mike. I'm not flattering you here. I'm just, the next part is a little bit of flattery because it's, when I started listening to this podcast, I realized that Mike was helping to teach people. And that made me even more excited because now this guy isn't just making good work. He's also being somewhat of a decent person. But that being said, that's only what I knew of him from listening to the podcast. I'd never actually met this guy. And one of the scariest things that I'm sure if you've ever met your heroes, there's always that pause where you're like, please don't be an asshole. Please don't be an asshole. And when I met Mike, he was an asshole and we had to figure that out. But while I was here, I got to watch Mike go through that kind of existential crisis because some of his friends from back home are incredibly talented artists called Zarface. Zarface is a rap group with... DJ7L and Esoteric, as well as Inspect the Deck from Wu-Tang Clan. 
Now, DJ7L and Esoteric are Boston-based boys, and uh, they're good friends with Mike because they've worked together in the past. And having them fly in to shoot a music video for their single Bizarro was absolutely just, just an experience that I am so happy to be a part of. But then there was that that little extra push. The, the reason that that music video was so cool was because we got to meet one of Tom's heroes, which is Tom, or excuse me, not Tom. Uh, Tom is the hero. Mike's hero, Tom Segura. There we go. Because we shot on the set of Your Mom's House, which is the podcast hosted by Tom Segura and Christina P. And <laughs> in episode 74, Creating a Bizarre World, with guests DJ7L and Esoteric of Zarface, Mike and the boys talk about just how crazy it is to meet your heroes and that that existential dread of, please don't be an asshole, please don't be an asshole. The coolest part about this also is the fact that these guys are friends. They're long-term friends, lifelong friends, fucking long, long-distance long friends, whatever. They're friends. They're friends for a while, and you can hear that. Because I'm on the other side of the fucking country from all of my friends, listening to this episode calmed me down a bit and, and allowed me to... It, it threw me back to being home with the guys, shooting the shit, having a good time, you know, busting each other's balls. So here's an excerpt from episode 74 where Mike talks about meeting Tom for the first time, his fear of meeting his hero... And then the other guys just totally ripping into each other. Because what's better than that? Hey, Excellent. Stop playing, it's my turn to smoke. Heavy dose of that murder I wrote. Don't let it burn your throat. I ain't from the same cloth, they be turning coats. I'm hood good, hit a shot town of Sherman Oaks. Ain't nothing worse than true lies, but new lies. I'm too wise, they be acting like they shoot sides. Well, let's talk a little bit about the video. Um, it was... Um, uh, and I don't know if I've talked about how my connection to it was, because I sort of came out of it out of nowhere, um, where I was just watching, um, Tom's show. So I've, I've been a big fan of, uh, your mom's house for about a year and change now. I was introduced to it by my buddy, Tony back in Boston. And, uh, I was just watching an episode, I think on YouTube and I noticed that he was wearing a Zarface shirt. And, uh, then I just texted George and I was like, dude, you know, and you guys, <laughs> obviously you guys knew, <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, we just talked really quickly and I was just like, Are you guys doing a music video? And and you guys said that he was interested in doing something. And I'm like, I'll totally fucking do it just because, A, I haven't worked with you guys in a long time and I've always had fun working with you guys when we've done it in the past. But then B, you know, that opportunity to work with Tom and Christina and hang out at your mom's house was like, obviously, obviously it had to get done. Yeah, um, how did you- it was, um, it was great timing, man. Cause you know, I had gone back and forth with Tom setting up potential dates to shoot the video because the song itself is a couple months old as it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then we landed the, the show date in LA for a performance and, you know, we had inspected deck with us and just everything was kind of aligning. So we had our, our golden geese were, um, getting a time when Tom was free and a yep. time when uh, director Mike Petchy was free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything lined up, you know? Uh, yeah, dude, it was great. It was great. And and that show, um, which was a lot of fun, I got to be there with you guys, got to uh, actually film you guys on stage and do all that stuff. That was a really great fucking show. Did I read that was your first L.A. show? That's not your first L.A. show, is it? It's certainly not our first L.A. show, like, as – uh, artists, but it was our first LA show as Zarface. So performing, Zar- I've done Zarface material in LA 
with uh, Jedi Mind Tricks or, you know, mm -hmm. by myself, but in terms of me, Deck, and 7L together, that was our first, like, full-on Voltron Zarface show in L.A. Awesome, man. That's yeah. fucking rad. I didn't realize when, when we were doing it. It wasn't until after, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And the amount of attention that you guys got on that show and the amount of people that are – surprisingly the amount of celebrities that are really fucking uh pumped about that that show it just uh, you know what it is is i've been so far from you guys for a while it's been a few years since we've actually connected and just sort of jumping back into it i was just like holy shit you guys are blown way the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know it um it's uh i don't it's going pretty well for us right now man and i think you know when there are people you, as an artist, you have to learn, like as, a, as an MC anyway, you never hold your breath waiting for props from another rapper or something like that. If you can get actual fans that listen to music and in creatives, but they're not necessarily rappers or producers or DJs, those mm -hmm. are the guys that are just going to keep their mouth shut and, you know, want to uh, surpass you or compete with you. But if you mm -hmm. have fans in different walks of life, such as sports or comedians or um, graffiti writers or directors whatever it might be mm -hmm. it um you know that's who you're really trying to entertain and make music for i i don't like there's an expression being your favorite rapper's favorite rapper or whatever i've learned yeah. not to give give a shit about any of that and you don't you don't make music for other rappers you just make music for people and people will gravitate to it if they dig it you know it's the same thing in our business, man. Like uh, if you are, you know, if you're a director, if you're someone that's sitting around waiting for acknowledgement from the business or waiting for acknowledgement from the fucking academy or, or something like that, it's just a waste of time. At the end of the day, who are you making music for? At the end of the day, who are you making movies for? It's the audience, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know? And that's a tough, I think that's a tough lesson for, for anybody as they're coming up through the years because you want, you definitely want validation from your peers and validation from the people that inspired you in the same art form. But, you know, as time goes on, you realize that the people that mean the most are the people that are supporting your music and the people that are genuinely proud to support your music and support you, in, you know, in, in many different ways. So those are the people you tend to uh, provide for or cater to, you know. And, yeah. uh, and unfortunately, more often than not, the, uh, the people you grew up idolizing really turn out to be disappointing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good to just focus on your music and the fans and, you know. Um, yeah, it's true. Everyone, yeah. uh, you know, I think they're disappointing because they're human. And uh, the era that we came from, you tend to hold people to a much higher standard because there's so many, there's not as many, uh, there's, I would say there's more blinders on or more things that mm. can kind of create this, uh, mystique about somebody. But if yeah. you, you know, if you've been following somebody's career for 10 years and you think this guy is a golden God, uh, and then you hang out with him for a half an hour and you're like, wow, this guy won't even spring for some fucking French fries. <laughs> this guy's an asshole. Yeah. It changes everything, you know? Yeah, dude, tell me about it. Like, there's, I hate meeting my my idols. I hate it because yeah. it's a risk. You get into that scenario, and we've done it with music videos, and I've done it with some actors where you get into that scenario, and you're like, oh, man, don't be a piece of shit. Don't be a piece of shit. And then you hang out, and you're like, oh, you're a piece of shit. God yeah. damn it. Now you've ruined, I've ruined the entire catalog of stuff that I loved by knowing you. 
Right, so, right. <laughs> it's like you don't you don't want to get into that position. Um, yeah. And the the funny thing is, is I, I think I even said it to Tom where I was hanging out with him outside, and I was like, "Dude, I'm relieved that you're not a piece of shit." <laughs> 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 and he was like, "Yeah, man, yeah, no, no, good." And I was like, "Good, it's good, it's good that you're cool." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that he's actually a good example of the antithesis of being a piece of like he's he's just great down to earth guy, you know. And I think yeah. I think in general. Uh, you know, somebody like him who plays with words, stories, things that are, you know, little idiosyncrasies in, in human nature that are, are can be presented as very funny. They're thinkers and they get it. They get things and, and people relate to what they're doing. So, I mean, I think they understand those little social nuances that, that you know, mm-hmm. can easily be, uh, you know, disregarded by somebody else who just doesn't give a shit. Your flow beat it to retros ago. You were supposed to beat me to death blows ago. We can go, we can go, toe to toe. We can go, toe to toe. On the twin powers, activate. One of my personal heroes that I was kind of hoping that I'd be able to meet, uh, I was planning on going to an event at least some point while I was here, but turns out he was a guest on the show and that's Ted Sim from episode 72 the power of being genuine see Ted is the host of Indie Mogul and as I'm sure a lot of you know because we've seen a huge spike in uh, more listeners after Mike appeared on Indie Mogul so thanks to everyone who's a, a fan of Indie Mogul I'm right there with you and the fact that we were able to meet Ted was awesome and uh, you know it's funny because I I thought maybe we could get Mike on the show and we were able to do that. And that was great. Um, Mike was excited to do that as well because, you know, Ted is such a great guy, but Mike was even more excited after the first week that I got here because that, that, uh, event that Tim hosted, like I said, Ted was, uh, one of the other hosts. And so Mike was like, yeah, I'd love to talk to that guy. And we were able to get him in a, I, I met him at that event. Now, he forgot about that when he came on the show, and so I reminded him during the show that I actually had met him before that day, and uh, this is how that went. And literally yesterday, I interviewed for grad school, and at that event, I came up to you and I told you about that I was applying. I fucking knew it, dude. You sneaky, you <laughs> what do you sneaky butthole. Why did you just tell me? I'm I sneaky. look at you, and I gave you, you know when you walk into a room and you look at someone, you're like, I know you, and I gave you that look, <laughs> yeah. and you didn't say anything. I was like... I gave you the I gave you the look. Okay, absolutely. How you doing, man? I'm the intern. I'm not allowed to fucking say no, that. Dude, you're totally allowed to say it. You're literally allowed to say, hey dude, yeah, we met. I also thing. I also I stood up like, yeah. and asked a question out there and I, I do I said, remember yeah. that. Yes, I remember. You're talking about uh Fierstein too. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. what it tomorrow morning I have a I have a Skype call with them. Yeah. See, look. <laughs> okay, so what are, you, what are you asking? What's the question? Well, this discover you're not being honest. Like, I do love Pierce Dean. Those are some really good guys over there. Yeah. So for everyone who's sitting here going, does Liam actually talk like that? Yeah. This is how I talk, right? I'm trying to work on it. It's not great, but look, we're we're getting through it, all right? We're getting through it. Fuck it. Ted, yes, he runs a lighting company, but I I didn't I don't really care that he runs Aperture. I'm not a huge Aperture fanboy. What I'm a fan of is the fact that he's offering free education to people who are interested in learning how to light. And that's big. Because as somebody who's going through school right now, I didn't I, I see school as 
an opportunity to test what I'm learning from places like Four Minute Film School and Indie Mogul and School of Motion rather than actually learning inside the classroom. And I know that's that makes it what's the point of going to film school then? And that's actually a question that I asked Ted. And we get into that in episode 74. I really recommend you listen to that. But one of the best parts of the conversation between Ted and Mike was the real reason why Ted's one of my heroes in the first place. It's the fact that he's so honest. And being genuine, being honest, that's what's going to separate you from the competition in a in an industry where, like, I mean, it's the fucking film industry. Gear is one of the main reasons why people get into this. And it's also one of the main reasons why people get sidetracked from their goal and their dreams. Here are some highlights of Mike's and Ted's conversation about the importance of being honest. right now if anyone out there that feels discouraged for trying to do social media by themselves you are absolutely right and you should feel okay feeling discouraged because people hire full fucking teams yeah and i say this as someone that has a team of people that are amazing and let me say right now if anyone likes any of the content that we do or any of the content that i do it's because it's not me really it's a team and we have a group of us working together that yes you know you know i brought them on or they're team members that work for us but Seriously, if you're a lone creator out there trying to do your own social media, it's a nightmare, dude. It's a nightmare. You're it's like an ocean, and you're just like with a fucking flare on a fucking life raft out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. it's just like, how do I do this and be creative at the same time? How am I developing my skills and also being my own PR person? And it's it's a fucking nightmare. It's like everybody now has to. I hate talking about this because it's it, it so quickly becomes a negative spiral, right? <laughs> it's, it's not like, negative. It's, it's no, a, but it's so easy to be like, <laughs> like for instance, like right here, I'm gonna, let me let me say the line that uh, I, I, I don't even know what the line is right now, but I'm going to say the line right now that make, pulls the conversation in that direction. Is it's yeah, nowadays everybody has to be an influencer now. Oh. <laughs> and then everybody wants to shoot themselves yeah. in the face and it's like, <laughs> I hate this. And and, and the, the, the problem, I think the reason why people hate that so much is because unfortunately it's true. Yeah, it totally is. I don't care if you're it a totally chef, is. you have to, you gotta make this content now. If you're everybody. an author, if you're a fucking, the, the fucking plumber down the street is telling me to, to leave a review and like his Instagram <laughs> posts. You're a plumber. Why does the plumber need an Instagram? Dude, it's crazy, man. It's 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 nuts. And I, I, there's something really interesting. I think if you embrace it the right way, it doesn't has necessarily have to be negative. No. I think if you embrace it the right way and you're creative about it and you're at least still, depending on what you're doing, like from a director's perspective, it's like as long as I'm still telling stories, as long as I'm still getting uh, human connection. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's about figuring people out and learning things and doing that kind of stuff. So it's still beneficial, but you can easily get lost in it at the same token. And then it's all about numbers. It's all about followers. It's all about that traffic. And then, you know, you play in that game. I, again, I hate being cynical about it. It's so, it's so you can, I can take that role. You can play the no, 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 no. First of all, Wait, what is this show called? It's called In, in Love, Love with the, the Process. It's just clickbait to get you in. It's your show name, man. It's just to get you in there. It's to steal you in there and then complain about the process the whole time. 
You know, what, you know what I always, I, the joke I always make is, if you want to know what a person isn't, look at what the writing says on, on, their, on their desktop background. Like if their desktop background says something like, be strong in times of stress. You know that person every time there's a stressful time. There's like a half-loaded like, gun underneath the desk. <laughs> Just in case of emergencies break yeah. me. It's like, those, you, like anytime you see an inspirational poster or someone that they put on their wall, oh, their okay. office, you know that that's the, that they're feel, that they're actually the opposite. Yeah, run. <laughs> yeah. And then the reason I, I say this is that I, I don't think it needs to be I think all of this kind of blends in with like future fear and yeah. stuff like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like all of this, for me at least, all of it is is that it, it's really it's like acting, right? It's really hard to be honest as an actor. You know, yeah. I, I, I am not a fucking actor. I don't know what the heck these people do. But but one of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that actors always say is like you know, I, it, it's it's hard to 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 feel real and honest to a person. Yeah, and I feel the exact same way about content or any of that stuff or marketing. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why nobody can do the Dollar Shave Club thing. And that's because it's really fucking hard to be honest. Yeah. And if you can do that in whatever your content is or whether it's, again, whether it's a podcast or your designs or whether it's your page or whatever videos you make online, that stuff will show up and feel real. And you mentioned Billie Eilish before. And I don't really follow a lot of this stuff either. I'm working. But, yeah, but yeah. I, I feel like, again, this is from some... <laughs> idiot that doesn't tune into Billie Eilish but I feel like a lot of people resonate with her because I think she probably feels real to those people sure no and she is and she's very honest about it and I think that I think my statement on it was more the business behind it yes there's people that want to that will then sweep in and they'll take that and they'll take what is that innocent thing and then study and examine that innocent thing and try to put it through some sort of manufactured machine so that we can make 12 more of those fucking things and it's that's kind of what we deal with in this country period where it's like someone finds lightning in a bottle it's like uh, Quiet Place Quiet Place comes out right you want to talk about honest and basic that fucking movie destroys and all it was was playing with audio that's all it was paranormal activity any of that stuff yep. yes absolutely. and so then they come out after that and they're just like stamp 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 and then we get exhausted from the whole process of it and then we're like fuck we just need something new again and it's like that's what we that's what we're living even with the gear and the fucking gear manufacturers Dude, i doing think it. it's the i think it's the best this is my positive spin on the whole thing too is i think i think it's the best thing ever because it means that you don't really need that much money anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't really need that much connections. And just if you if you can be honest, there's more ways to succeed than ever before. Yeah, and there's way, more ways for people to find you than ever before. And it just at the end of the day, I think the reason why people on the top hate it is because it means that every time they do something, it's got to be a fucking home run. Yeah, they actually have to make it good because now if it's not good. People have so many avenues and ways to access things that are actually good, and yeah. honest, and genuine. And yep. Um, and then as a creator, you kind of want the power to come back in the hands of the creators again. You want the power to be back in the yeah. people that, that make things and that are great. And I always say all the time from a director standpoint, I don't know if something's going to be good. Yeah. I really don't. And, and most of my job is just bringing the elements that I know could kind of work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you want to have a party and you want to do, okay, let's get some good food. Let's, let's invite this amount of people. Let's invite this guy. Cause he's kind of weird. And this girl, cause she's out of her mind. <laughs> and they might do some weird shit. Weird shit. Corner, together. Yeah. Light that corner real weird so that yeah, everyone can yeah. see it. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's really what you're doing as a creator is just sort of bringing these elements together and saying, okay, what's going to fucking happen. And then like you've been saying, just be as honest as you possibly can through the whole process. Yeah. And then through that honesty, your voice finds a, a way out. Yeah. 
But I, I feel like I feel like DPs and directors and like writers they don't think in that way. They think, oh, being honest is something that the actor has to do. You no. know, I just have to make something cool and slick and whatever. And it's just not the case. And no. I don't care, even if you're a marketing person too. Like, oh, I got to make something cool and slick that follows the trends. It's like I don't think we take the strive to be honest as a thing that is actually something you have to work on. Yeah. Because I think everyone wakes up and is like, oh, be honest. Herp, derp, my name's Ted. I'm honest. <laughs> done. My job's done. No, it's really hard to be honest. Fuck yeah, dude. It's really fucking hard to be like, this is who I am. This is what I care about. And fuck, that's it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is what I, I go even further. This is what I know right now. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to know next week. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to feel next week. This is how I feel about social issues today, today. at this time. Yeah. Next it week, it could be completely It should. If it doesn't fucking change. Then there's a problem. Exactly. And you are a bad person. Exactly. <laughs> and if you don't change your mind regularly, I hate you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But if you're selling things, if you're trying to appeal to people that are selling things to you, the fact that you're changing consistently is a fucking to. nightmare. And so then you have to be adjusting to that. So it's, a, it's interesting. I like the fact that we've got off on this tangent. Yeah. This has been a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very relevant to to today as well. The 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 battle that I do every day, and this is why I mean it doesn't just apply to filmmaking. It certainly applies to filmmaking, a art where people come to be emotional, to have some catharsis. But I don't care if you're some marketing douchebag or a business person. You still have to wake up every morning, and your battle is how can I be as honest and empathetic? Because the game is when I do. You talked about being in front of camera and stuff like that. Yeah. At a certain point, I think when I, when I started making content, you start making the content and at a certain point, you just start like churning and burning it. You're like, oh, cool, great. And you start getting praises for it too. People come to you and like, I really love this stuff. And like, you start to, you start to embellish it a little bit and have a little bit more fun with it. And the number one thing is that this, the second you start doing that, you start losing. It's the same thing as trying to direct a movie and like a bunch of people giving you praises on not the honesty thing, but giving you, oh, I fucking loved all these one takes there. And I loved all the the way the flashy edits that you did here. And you, you want to do more of that because your average Joe Schmo is not going to be able to see through that. Hmm. The business stuff is the same stuff. They're like, oh, like, yeah, like you're doing this because you're social media marketing whiz or doing this. That's not the stuff that brings people. It's the, That's the fucking gravy, the sprinkles again. At the end of the day, that's why I keep bringing up the people is because... I think it was just a connection, you know, you just like the the battle is how do I wake up and just try to be me? And and I get it, right? Like anytime you do any recording or something, you have to put on a little bit of energy. Right? Sure, of course. But the goal is like it's not be someone different, it's be yourself maybe a hundred five percent. Yeah. Know? Like just be present, be ready, be available, and people connect with that. They connect with it instantly. I think, yeah, I think it comes back to the same thing. Just every day it is a struggle to try to be as transparent and clear about everything. Sometimes you have to tell people answers that they don't want to hear. But yep. most of the time, the truth is going to come out one way or another. Always. It might take a longer time. You know, if it's a small secret, you can hide it for a long time. If it's a big secret, you can only hide it for a short time, right? Like, But eventually, the truth comes out. And... I think knowing that it's inevitable and that that's going to happen, just come out right away and just say, hey, this is what's going on. Hey, this is what we're working on. Hey, this is how we feel about this thing. How do you feel about this? And because we're in a world where we're so used to getting duped and Coca-Cola, Diet Coke mm -hmm. is the new thing. It's zero calories. Mm -hmm. We're so used to living in this world 
and everything's slick and everything's trying to sell something to you. If you just stop for a second and, you know, I have respect for people that come up to me and just say, hey, I'm trying to sell you this thing. Can I talk to you about it? Well, it's very honest. <laughs> I told yeah. you exactly what you were doing. Yeah. I, I have a newfound respect for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to be straightforward in a world that isn't very straightforward. Both of my parents are artists. My mom got a degree in theater, and my dad got a degree in glassblowing. Now, since they got their degrees, my mom has been a teacher for basically my entire life, and my dad joined the Carpenters Union. When I was growing up, my mom basically told me, don't go into two things. You can be anything you want except for these two things. And the one was being a teacher, and the other was being an artist. And I just, I didn't understand that because those were my two passions. So I tried to force myself into something else and I found politics and I really like politics. And if you listen to any of the self-quarantine mini series, you'll hear my views on politics. I, I cut myself short and might make sure that I do, but my entire life I wanted to be in film. I didn't have to be a director. I didn't have to be a cinematographer, but I knew I had to be part of artistry and, and the cinematic art and I also wanted to teach and so this was an absolute struggle for me for quite a number of years until I finally said fuck it I'm gonna do it on my own I'm an adult I can do this so at the age of 21 I went back to school and I sat in a classroom to get my degree and I'm surrounded by 17 year olds who have been going to private film schools and even now I'm uh, my roommates can have been drawing since they were seven or uh, you know, have been shooting home films their entire lives and they understand the craft and that's just who they've always been. And I didn't have that. And you know, there's that imposter syndrome that sits in. I know a lot of our listeners feel that because we want to be artists. We want to share our craft. We want to express what we're feeling and what we're, what we're seeing inside of our heads but we chose another path and we don't know if we can just abandon that path to become the artist that we want to be in episode 70 killing the banker i guess paul pesci who is mike pesci's dad uh he he comes on and talks about his experience of being the president of a bank and how his his path changed from being that banker into being the artist that he is today and how the two sides of him that very analytical financial mind seem to be at odds at times with the artistic mind and the artistic soul that was inside of him it's uh it's an incredible conversation and it's one between a father and a son it adds such a unique atmosphere to the entire conversation because you can feel the admiration that mike has for his father and you can feel the connection the two of them have for their art And I know that so many people connect with the idea of, I want to be something, I feel like I am something that's different than who I see myself as currently. And Paul talks about that in this episode. It's a powerful, powerful conversation.
And so I think that's why I'm fascinated with your story because most people that I have on this show choose the path of art and choose the path of like throwing it all to the wind, fuck it, I'm gonna follow my dreams and chase my dreams. And I'm not saying you didn't because you had a dream of being a banker and you had that ability to go that route. And Jesus Christ, went from a stock room to being a president of a fucking bank, which is a journey within itself. I mean, if this show was about that, if this show was about how to be a successful business person, you figured that out. Um, but I'm fascinated because you had the art, you had the the craving of the art. You were introduced to the art at a young age, which I think is just being introduced to the ability to thinking about things differently. And I guess you could call that the left or right side of the brain if you wanted to get scientific about it. But it's just looking at the world in a slightly different way. In order to being someone that could paint something or capture something, you have to understand light. You have to understand what is happening in the background that no one else is noticing. Same thing with cinema, same thing with music, same thing with any of these things. And I think once you're introduced to that world, it's like, it's like taking the pill and going into the matrix. Once, once you have that in you, it's going to come the fuck out. And I think that's so fascinating that it, it, it came out with you so, so much later. So like in your thirties, in which a time, in a time period in which most people would be freaking out going, I need to, I need to buckle down. I need to get into shit at this point. You're kind of expanding your world. And then as you sort of get into your fifties and as you're, as you're getting older and you are running those parallels at this point, you're being a banker and you're also living the life as an artist. Are you being pulled in one direction or another? Um, always, you know, I, am always, I'm always, um, walking the tight, tight rope, but you know, it's funny uh, with Michael uh, and I've, uh, with Michael Dowling, I, I've still, um, kept, uh, in touch with him and actually started painting again with him. Um, he's our, our he, he was our art teacher. So when we referenced Michael Dowling in this episode, he was an amazing art teacher that taught the both of us back in the days in Framingham at, um, at the uh, Danforth uh, Museum Gallery. And he's an amazing artist in his own right. Um, and he puts on these amazing, uh, I think, does he still do the mes- medicine wheel? He does. Yeah. He just, he just had it not too long ago. And, and uh, he's, he's an insta he, he does a lot of installation art. He's just a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous person. And he was really the one that, that, that got me into the journeying and, yeah. and, and all of that. But uh, not to interrupt um, you, I just want to make sure the audience knows who we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what was I saying with him, with him? Um, yeah. What a shitty host I am. I just didn't trust you in the middle of your fucking statement. <laughs> yeah. But you were saying that, uh, you know, I asked oh, you. Oh, he, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, he, he, he would always say to me, um, you know, or he'd say to the class, here's Paul Petchy, the banker, you know, <laughs> someday I'm going to introduce Paul Petchy as the artist. You know, but he's got to be able to because I, I was at a point I was at a point where there was always that struggle. I was I was I I wouldn't surrender myself to the art side. I always the banker in me always struggled with with that. And it wasn't until towards the end of my career, really, that I felt comfortable enough that I had made it, you know, I had done what I had done with the banker needed to do. 
Um, and I was able to surrender myself. So when I would go to banking conventions, I, I would go to meetings, um, groups with, with, uh, meetings with other bank presidents. We, we always remain close. Um, the conversation with me, with the other bank presidents was always about art. It was, you know, very rarely was, was it about a uh, business, you know, we would talk business, but, but I would always bring it back to art and they would always ask me, you know, how's your art going? And, and, uh, some of them have been very supportive over, over the years with, uh, coming to some of my, my, uh, art shows and whatever. Um, and so throughout the whole community of, of banking in, in Massachusetts, people know me as they, they knew me as the president of, of, of Braintree Cooperative Bank, but they also knew me as an artist. And so I finally got to a point in my life where I surrendered, uh, you know, the, the bank has surrendered to the artist. And I now feel like I'm an artist. Now I, now I struggle with artist author, but, uh, but that's all <laughs> under the, that's all under the, uh, under the arts. You uh -huh, know, I, uh -huh. I, I consider that. Well, not I consider yet. my book a piece of art. Yeah, because now you're retired. So you retired. The, uh, what did you? What did we say? I seven months ago. I, I killed a banker. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, murder. I, mur I, I murdered the banker. He's you know, now. He's, I still. He's now encased in a, a glass shrine on the top of a, a little town in Italy, and that we. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have. You know, I'm still on the. I'm still on the board of a bank, but. Uh, you know, uh, I try not to. I, I try to live my life as as a banker and uh, and do the other things that I that I really like to do. You, you mean know? you try to live your life as a banker now, or as an artist now? Oh, I'm sorry, as an artist. I, yeah. I, I try to live myself as, a, as my my life as an artist, um, and uh, really just stop and smell the roses. You know, that's <laughs> that, every day. Every day is a wonderful day for me. that last section that Paul talked about how every day is a wonderful day for him now that's the main reason why I got in well why I wanted to start this journey to becoming a filmmaker or being part of the filmmaking process because when I'm making films that's a wonderful day and when I'm part of that artistic connection and that artistic creation that's a wonderful day but like I said I don't have to be a director to be part of that and I don't have to be a cinematographer to be part of that in fact there are quite a number of positions one can be on the film set that allows you to be part of that artistic creation and not be you know you don't have to be in it for an award in episode 66 the life of a Hollywood gaffer our guest Mike Ambrose spoke about his experience gaffing for some of the biggest films in the world. I mean, this guy is gaffed for small, quote-unquote, $5 million budget films like Lights Out, who I'm sure so many of you have heard of, as well as, you know, he's, I mean, he was the second unit gaffer for numerous Marvel films. This guy has, he is a lifetime career gaffer with so much knowledge, so much experience, and so much love for his craft. 
And, you know, you talk about experience. Mike and I were able to go and speak to Mike Ambrose in his trailer on set of a, of a Netflix film. I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, not many people are working in this town right now, but being on the set of my first, I don't even know what budget it was. I, I think it was a medium budget film, but still, that was the biggest set I've ever been on. It was at Dorney, or what is it, Six Flags? It was at Six Flags. I know Dorney Park because where I'm from, Dorney Park was right behind my house. But but we were in Six Flags with a giant techno crane and what was like 75 people running around. And I, I mean, Jennifer Garner was there. I, I, it was it was crazy. And being on set with Mike and Mike, you know, it was, you could feel their passion for the craft. You could feel Mike Ambrose's just joy to be doing what he was doing. And that kind of, that passion right there, that's what we, that's what we all aspire to get to. And you don't have to be, you know, the director winning the Oscar to experience that, to be part of this. What was even more exciting is that because Mike Ambrose has such a long history of working in this town, in this career, he has, oh, he knows so much about the actual technical terms for everyone. So as someone in film school, I had heard about, you know, what a key grip was and I had heard about what a gaffer was, but I'd never been on a, a set that was more than 10 people. So when you're the quote unquote, you know, when you when you're the quote unquote gaffer, you're also the boom op. And that's just how it is because that's what we have. But on a set like this, you know, as you as you progress in your career, you need to understand the hierarchy of the film set and who reports to who, who works with who, what job everyone has. And Mike Ambrose breaks that down for us in this episode. I'm so excited. This was honestly this was one of the coolest experiences I've had. And this goes for lots of jobs in, in movie production and theater is that if you didn't notice me, I did my job. <laughs> it's true, you know, and it, it's not, it's, you don't go into, you know, wanting to be a gaffer or a key grip um, or a camera assistant because you ever think about standing up there on that stage, getting an Oscar in your hand or any golden statue for that matter. Right. You, you do it because you love being part of the process of being part of filmmaking and telling a story. Uh, through your craft and your part of it and your collaboration and your input. And that's, that's what drives us. Well, and then we were talking right before we started rolling um, about how strange the life is and how like surreal being on a film crew, especially at your level, being on a film crew that is a larger budget kind of thing where you literally take over fucking towns when you go into spaces. And so um, is that, is that the fun for you? Is that no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And you know, we get to see so many things that you just wouldn't see if you were a tourist or just driving through a town or we get to go places that just a lot of people just don't get to see. You get to see a perspective 
on things. It's it's way beyond the frame and the story of what you see at the movie theater. It's, you know, going to a small town and living there for a few weeks and like interacting with the people and getting to know the people. You got to be like the kind of person that loves being out there, meeting people in the world and 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 having these experiences you know, whether it's in uh, Cuba or down in Brazil or you know, up in Canada, we were recently doing uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which will be coming out this. Oh, summer. the new one, Ivan Reitman's son's new Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. what an experience that was. I mean, we're doing like legacy filmmaking here. You know, we're, we're there, there's some pretty big shoes to fill, <laughs> and uh, we're up in in Canada shooting in the Calgary area because it's playing for the Midwest. The story. I can't give sure. really anything away at this point, but just know that uh, I think it's going to be awesome. And oh, is, is it going to be good? I'm nervous oh, about it. No, it's going to be. It's going to. It's going to be really good. And okay. anyway, we're talking about the locations. Yeah, yeah. we're up there, like in Canada, in a small town in the in the prairies of Canada that hardly any that a lot of people go to Calgary to shoot, and they go up to Banff and go up to the mountains and shoot the Rockies or shoot the city. Right. But to go out the other way and just outside of Calgary and go to like a small town of, you know, three or 4,000 people and move in there with, you know, the whole, uh, circus of yeah, cause it's, studio it, movie production. There's like, like hundreds of people on the crew. Hundreds of people coming in yeah, and, yeah. you know, setting up base camps and location scouts in advance. It gets kind of everybody excited. And, you know, we had people, and I guess because it's Ghostbusters too, it's not like, you know, oh, you know, we're making some title that you've never heard of. Everybody's heard of Ghostbusters. So sure. they're very excited. And there was people lined up. We had one where we, we had set up some, um, you know, duvetine drapes to black out the inside where we're shooting because it's supposed to be night and we didn't want to look out. So we're inside. So if you're outside and you want to observe filmmaking, <laughs> all you saw was black curtains around a building. And it was that way all day, all day long. And, and we get there in the morning and there was all the, the townspeople hanging out in chairs with signs and Ghostbuster stuff. And, <laughs> and they're hanging out and they're like, all they're doing is looking at a building that's surrounded by black material. <laughs> and then you come out at lunchtime, they're still there. And they were hoping for just like a glimpse of somebody pulling up in a, like, you know, sure. a, 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 an SUV, you know, one of the, one of the actors that they might know. And, and, and they would literally be walking outside for 30 seconds between the car and into the, into the <laughs> draped, you know, and it's like, they were su such time. So I would take time and walk across the street and go hang out with these people. And, oh, yeah. and it was like so fun to like interact with, you know, somebody I would never interact with somebody who lives in the prairies of Canada, right. you know, and like just start chatting with them. They were so thrilled. It's like, wow, you know, a filmmaker, I'm not guys. I'm just a, I'm a person just like you, you know, yeah, we're just yeah, yeah. hanging out and I'm just, you know, I see you guys are hanging out here and, you know, and they'd ask some questions about what we're doing. I'd tell them what I could. And it's just nice to interact with people and, and connect with people, not, you know, all over the world. People say, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a gaffer. And, you know, now I can answer that question differently if I don't want to get into it. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's fun to see people, you know, because people generally don't want to look stupid. So they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. You know, I've seen it on the credits or some people know what it is, of course. And then some people just come right out and say, yeah, you know, I've seen that. But what is that? You know, what what is a gaffer? You know, and I like the old the old term for the for the position. Um, 
it's uh it there there was a movement in the in contract services and in, in the union to change it to chief lighting technician some years ago and i was like clt chief lighting technician that kind of takes the the creative side out of it it's like now i'm a technician and part of that was to try to raise wages for for us and making us tech more of a technical trade rather than just lot labor and mm-hmm. that was the that was the motivation to come up with the chief lighting technician title um and by contract that's actually what it is it's chief lighting technician um mm-hmm. gaffer is a term and i've looked at it a bunch of times and I, there's no real like nobody has the definitive answer on where that came from oh fascinating it um there was a gaffer on sailing ships um way back in you know the early days of of, of, of ships that uh you know, tall mast sailing ships. And the gaffer was an older man that was in charge of a crew um, on the ship. And he Hmm. knew about the rigging and, you know, there was the gaffer pole and stuff that they use somehow on the ships is one story I've heard. So don't hold me to any of it, but this is, you know, some of the folklore and that when the ships would come back into England, for example, uh, and they'd have shore time, the theater there, Shakespearean times, they they needed people that knew how to rig stuff and and put up oh. backdrops and 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 rig scenic pieces. Who was best qualified for that? But the guys that were on the ship. Fascinating. And so the the folklore goes that a lot of the crew from the from the ships of the time ended up working in theater, and and that was part of that. Now it's interesting. <laughs> Another gaffer term is in glass blowing. If you are a glass blower and you have a team of people that is doing like a really big glass blowing project, the lead glass blower is known as the gaffer also. Wild. Somehow totally unrelated to, and I don't know what, how that came to be. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it says like something like old man in charge of a crew or something, you know? (laughs) Um, And, you know, I was a, I was gaffing when I was in my twenties, so I don't know about the old man part. But uh, now, nowadays, I, I guess I am the old man in charge of a crew. Um, but I like the term, and it's fun to be able to say to people, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a gaffer, and then it kind of opens up some conversation and you know a way to get to know each other better and talk about what that is. And people, when they find out you work in the movie industry, are always very intrigued and want to know more. And you know, it's it's just a fun way to connect with people. Well, and so for the folks that are listening, and and some people, I, I got all sorts of people listening to the show. So, so that they know exactly what it what it is. Uh, I've always described it. Um, like it's like you go to war when you make a movie and you have different generals and you have different commanders and everything else. And you have obviously the director and then the director has his like cinematographer, his production designer. He has these different heads and then those have their specific heads. So you work very closely and correct me if I'm wrong. You work very closely with the cinematographer and with the key grip to essentially create the light of the film, right? And you're more exactly. in charge of everything that gets turned on, everything that has juice and electricity running exactly. through Exactly. So it's the set lighting department. Mm-hmm. The gaffer's the department head of the set lighting department. Um, I'm hired by the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. The, cinematog- the cinematographer uh, needs to have a key grip, uh, uh, a gaffer, 
camera operator, first assistant camera. So those are the guys that really that the cinematographer hires, you know, cinematographers hired by the director usually. And so then it's my job then to assemble a team under me mm -hmm. that would carry out, you know, whether it's the rigging gaffer, there's also a rigging gaffer, which is doing everything before uh, ahead of us and behind us um, to prepare us. So when we come in on the day, we don't have to do a lot of, you know, mundane things like laying a lot of cable and placing lights that are rigged up high that would be very time consuming and take away from the precious time of shooting for the day. Mm -hmm. um, bigger budgets have bigger rigging crews. Smaller budgets may have no rigging crew. We show up on a commercial a lot of times. You show up, pull up a Jenny, run out some cable, pull the lights off the truck and start start shooting. But on the bigger movies, we have a rigging crew and that's the rigging gaffer. And then he has a rigging best boy, which is his assistant. And then he has his rigging electricians. Also under that is a fixtures <laughs> foreman. Fixtures is like somebody who does like if there's a bunch of signs that have to light up or all the little lamps on set, everything that is a practical fixture. And that that fixtures foreman then has a crew under him. And on some like I did a Star Trek movie with J.J. Abrams some years ago. <laughs> well, the Starship Enterprise has quite a few fixtures in uh, on the bridge. And uh, that fixture crew could be 25, 30 guys working the whole time, just making little light bulbs and little practical lights that'll be on, on camera. It's crazy. Whole they're, separate they're, they're like manufacturing those. They're manufacturing, like a, yeah. making, working with the props department and, and the scenic department to, yeah, yeah, to actually yeah. put the lighting and the electrical into sets where it needs to be. And then, of course, there's the gaffer, which is on set with the cinematographer. And I have my best boy, which is like my, they call it a best boy. It's an old term that's been around for a long time. The best boy is not just my assistant who gets me coffee. Matter of fact, if I ask my best boy to bring me coffee, he usually gets pretty pissed off. because He's got way too many things to do. He's in charge of hiring, firing equipment, placing generators, uh, power power uh, distribution, making sure the power is safe and that we got everything we need, communicating for me to the rigging gaffer, making sure that the logistics are going on, talking to the transportation department, making sure that the trucks and the trailers and everything show up where they need to be and that we have the specialty equipment, whether it's a condor or scissor lifts. Best Boy has an enormous responsibility. That is that is a very... Uh, understated job mm. people don't realize how important that that assistant position is if you're somebody who's just learned on this episode what a gaffer does if you're someone that's listening to the show and you're like that sounds like a lot of fun like i've always loved lighting i've always loved this stuff um how would you suggest somebody cold getting into this industry like what do you think a good path for somebody to make their way in is well that question comes up a lot on instagram to me and because people are I, from every continent, I get personal messages from mm. enthusiasts that are like, how do I, how do I get in? How does it, how does, how does that happen? And, um, and for some, it's much more difficult than others. You know, the first things that I usually recommend to young filmmakers or young people that just want to become filmmakers for the first time, the, one of the most important things is first off, finish your, finish your education. You got to You don't run away with the circus. There's no rush. You know, the, the, we make more content now than ever in the history of ever. So there's plenty of content out there being made. There's going to be plenty to be made. That's not going away. Finish your education. It's very important. Um, 
as far as film school and whether you should go to film school or not, I leave that up to individuals because I didn't do film school. I was lucky enough to find my education in film in some very unique areas and, um, and, and, you know, either jumping right into the workforce or going to film school is really a personal decision. Either way you can make it. So, you know, it's up to you just where you want to go. If you want to get into writing and directing, sometimes it makes sense to go to some of the, sure, you know, big film schools. And, and what happens at film school is that not only do you get kind of a foundational knowledge of filmmaking, but you are with like-minded people and you develop a network and you guys will go up together and you'll be successful and you'll make it. Um, jumping into the workforce, same thing. You're going to jump into the workforce. You're not going to start off on, you know, a huge Marvel movie. You're going to start off with an iPhone telling a story in your backyard. And you're going to do that with some other people that think that's cool. And then you guys are going to keep on networking and develop a network of people and, and do bigger projects and bigger projects. And that's going to develop into your y'all have the same goals. So you're going to get there. You know, mm -hmm. if you put it out there, that's where you want to be. You're going to get there. You, you put it out to the universe every day. I'm going to be a successful filmmaker. You will be a successful filmmaker and claim that as yours. I'm a filmmaker. There's nothing wrong with just saying I'm a filmmaker, even if you're just doing it on your iPhone or whatever. Just stake claim to it. Own it, <laughs> man. I am a filmmaker and go for it. Um, the next piece of advice, once you get past kind of that, I think, and this is important, um, you, you need to move to a production center. Um, Los Angeles obviously is a, uh, a center that has a lot of activity and you can make it. There's Atlanta, there's New York. In other countries, there's production centers in those countries. Um, move. You got to move. If you're, if you're not in a production center, there's a limit on how far you're going to go. Totally. And if you want to make it, I mean, you came from Boston and you realized that there's a, there's a ceiling, you there's a ceiling. ceiling and you, you are like, I got to make this move. And it's a, it's a, it's culture shock. And it's, you know, to move out of your comfortable, comfortable environment is important. Being uncomfortable is in, important for growth. Something I've learned, you know, I got to take on things that are uncomfortable if I want to keep on growing. Mm -hmm. And so you got to move away. And you got to go dive into it at the place where it's happening mm -hmm. and then meet people and put yourself out there. And, you know, sometimes you might be starting off, you work for free, but you're meeting people. Nothing's really free. You're, you're, you're getting paid through new relationships. You know, now I believe that you shouldn't be taken advantage of and you should get paid. I started making money doing lighting when I was 16. I also did some freebies along the way. Um, and I never regretted that. And I never go to a low paying job or a free job with any different work ethic or attitude than when I go on the biggest paying giant studio movie. It's the same. Right. I go into it with the same enthusiasm and the same passion for my work, regardless of the size of the production. And other than that, I've always said that making it in the movie business or actually maybe in any business is about as easy as getting an A in PE class. Show up, suit up and participate. Put a smile on your face and have your intention clear. Go out there, 
meet people, make friends, and just make it happen. I've met some incredible people uh, while I'm here. This next guest, though, is definitely one of those uh, one of those guests that I didn't ever expect to meet, nor would I. I don't think I ever would have actively sought this person out personally. However. I am so unbelievably happy that I did meet this person and what I've learned from him was so much more than I expected. The next guest is from episode 69, the porn star, and his name is Logan Pierce, or at least that's his stage name. Logan and Mike had a deep dive conversation about the porn industry as a whole Logan's experience as a male porn star. Uh, what, how filmmaking, or at least you know what we consider filmmaking, interacts uh, and and compares to the porn industry, and uh, so much more. I mean, it's. I know I'm not the only person that found that episode absolutely uh, exhilarating because it is our most popular episode. It is hands down the most popular episode in the entire show's history. And uh, uh, y'all are fucking perverts is what it is. That's what that tells me. It tells me that everyone listening to this show is a fucking pervert. Uh, but I am too. So here we are. No, it's... <laughs> it's Mike and, Mike and Logan had such a deep conversation though. And it was so interesting because being in the room with someone like that, I... I was fascinated with how real, how personal, how how intimate the conversation could be without, you know, well, well while talking so objectively about sex, uh, or at least an industry that is surra- uh, surrounding sex. In that, in that conversation, I didn't know how to straight up ask the question that I wanted to ask. And so I phrased it terribly, (laughs) in my opinion. I I phrased it terribly. But he answered me, uh, Logan answered me with what I was hoping to to get, um, which was I wanted to know what life is like in a relationship where our modern day idea of what sex is doesn't exist. When we think of sex, we think it's a very personal, very intimate, very very uh, private matter. And obviously being in a relationship between two porn stars, sex is not private at all. And so how does one have a relationship that is stable and, and still intimate in a level that doesn't involve sex in the intimacy? Or maybe it does. I, I didn't know how to ask that. And 
still, luckily, somehow Logan knew what I was asking. And, and what he answered with was one of the most inspirational things that I've ever heard. The other crazy thing is this guy's only a couple years older than me. He could be my older brother. And, you know, who doesn't want a guy to look up to as an older brother that's basically a porn star, right? That would be dope. Uh, so <laughs> I was sitting in that room trying to trying to imagine, all right, this is a guy that's just trying to share his experience with his life. Instead of talking about the art of porn or cinema or defining your style or any of that stuff, Logan breaks down how you know what you want and who you are as a person. And I think that's the most exciting part of really this show. And this right here, this soundbite, is the reason why I listen to this show. what's changed making a lot of mistakes you learn very quickly what what works what doesn't work and kind of like what we were talking about earlier with yeah getting older you learn what you like what you want what you need and you're able to to streamline that and kind of see through all the bullshit and and the older i get the more uh, i guess forgiving i am you know and thankfully my partner is uh immensely forgiving because I'm, I'm still working on all of my bullshit, but, um, forgiveness is very important. Um, it is very easy to get jealous in porn, but at the same time, you know, I want her to have fun on set and I want her to I want me to have fun, you know, cause it's our job, but it's also a job that requires, um, you know, to leave your inhibitions at the door. So, uh, um, I don't know what, I don't know where I'm going with this, but, but, uh, yeah, just getting older and, and, and knowing what works is, is really important. Just being aware of, of what makes you, what makes you happy. The last highlight I have for you folks, again, comes from episode 66, The Life of a Hollywood Gaffer. Guest Mike Ambrose stopped us uh, before we could finish the episode because he had one last thing that he felt was incredibly important to say as an end note. And I don't want to interrupt him again because I agree with him entirely and I think that his final words are really succinct and are the perfect ending for what consider what I consider to be my favorite sound bites. It's he wanted to end on the importance of family. And as somebody who's currently sitting in a room alone, quarantined on the other side of the country from my family, 
And my brother just had his birthday. My brother happens to also be that asshole who called me in the middle of episode 69 and uh, started this whole joke of me not being able to turn my phone off in the middle of episode recordings. So, happy birthday, Seamus, you fucking asshole. Uh, no, that's totally on, that was totally my fault. But, you know, how was that ad read, Mike? Uh, I want to end this ag- again. I just I want to end this with Mike Ambrose's final words on the importance of family, especially in this time right now. There are a lot of people that aren't able to be with their families, and there are a lot of people who are sick and fucking tired of being surrounded by their families. But you know, yeah, when I see them, I fucking hate them. But when when I'm gone and when I'm working, I miss the shit out of them, and it's important to just pause, take a second and appreciate what you got. Cuz there are a lot of people learning right now that uh it might be over sooner than they had hoped or expect. And for anybody dealing with that, I I want to I do want to extend my deepest sympathies, my condolences and all of the love and support that I can offer. I do want to say one more thing, very important thing, Uh, family. We're passionate filmmakers, and I think a lot of us put family on the back burner. And I've done that in my career. And I realized that I miss out on a whole other aspect of life. Film is very exciting and it's very consuming. However, you have wife, husband, kids, um, mom, dad. Our family is a precious part of our lives. And we have to learn to balance between our work and our families. And family is precious. And I cannot express enough. As you are passionately pursuing this career that you're considering, to not forget the importance of family and make time It is so important. You will be more successful in the end if you stand up for your personal time, for your separation from the film industry, and love your family and be there for them and be present and and focus on those things that are really important in life, like your relationships. And, you know, having a relationship in the movie industry is not always the easiest thing in the world. And I have to commend my wife, Andrea, who has stood by my side and put up with all kinds of stuff. Me being gone several time zones away and across oceans. And uh, she's amazing. And she's a big part of who I am and my success. And I couldn't do it without her. A lot of people don't think about that. It's really important uh, because this industry... We get so focused on trying to get into it. And then when you have the opportunity, because it, 
it never makes time for you. It always shows up at the worst time. And it's That's like, right. you need to do this now. Yeah. Like This is your moment. You need to go. And um, sometimes it feels like that just never ends. And you sometimes you got to just turn the phone off. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, ignore the emails for a minute. You have to allow for a, a sleep in on a Sunday with the people you care about and hang out and have breakfast and completely forget about that project you're working on <laughs> and give the people you care about most your time. They want you too. They they love you and you love them. So don't forget that while you're pursuing this incredible career. Very important. So that's it. It took me four hours to record the intro to this. So I'm going to just cut myself off really short for this for this outro. If you enjoyed these moments, great. You and I have similar tastes in, in picking out parts of conversations. If you felt that I missed something that you that you thought was a much better suggestion for, uh, you know, your favorite sound bites, reach out to me on Instagram. Our... Our Instagram is at in love with the process pod. That's at in love with the process pod. Or you can reach out to me directly at liam.d.obrien or message Mike. Tag him. Tell him, dude, you uh you agreed to bring this guy on? He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And uh and he will roast me, and that's fine. And we'll we'll have a good laugh. For everybody who's struggling out there, look, I get it. And I am so sorry that you're in this experience. We're going to get through it, all right? We are. If you're struggling to find motivation or or help or any of that stuff, that's what our mini-series is, this self-quarantine mini-series. We're doing that every week right now. And for everyone who's, you know, just looking to stay involved and stay part of something but just wants to get their mind away from all the craziness that's going on. I get it too. And that's why we're doing these episodes. You know, we're, we're still, we're still releasing them every week. And I know this one was a little late today. Uh, (laughs) if, if you, if you add me on Instagram today, you'll, you'll still see my story of how I, uh, how I had a mental breakdown going through this. This physically hurt me. Um, I will say that it physically hurt me to make this. I just, I appreciate it. Um, if you have any suggestions on who you would like to see on the show, please reach out to Mike or myself. Mike's Instagram is at Mike Petchy. And, uh, and we'll definitely, you know, we're, we're trying to get the bigger and better guests, but honestly, I am so happy to have been part of these episodes and the guests that we have had so far also i want to shout out brett for being there on my first day thanks for uh thanks for not laughing when i made a joke about awkward silences that really set the tone for my experience here and uh uh, made me feel warm and welcome so thank you for that everyone else you know stay safe stay healthy all that good shit and i'll see you next tuesday